Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, so thanks for that. Today, I want to talk a little bit about my trip to Vegas, uh, talk about a couple of hands, sort of the overall results, some of the things that I learned, some of the ways I think I improved while I was out there during that uh, incredible week uh, during the World Series of Poker, just had a great time. Talk about that a little bit. I also had a chance while I was out there to be interviewed by uh, Jeff Platt and Sarah Herring uh, of Poker News. So if you're interested, you can find that on the Poker News website. Really a fun time kind of chatting about the history of rec poker, what we're trying to do, uh, some of the things that we have going on. That was a great time. But then we were able to flip the switch and I spent some time interviewing Sarah Herring. If you don't know Sarah, she uh, goes by the Twitter handle Aunt Chardonnay, and we talk a little bit about where that came from. But she's just a delight, high energy, covers the World Series of Poker, uh, taking a little break now to gear up for the main event, going to be covering that as well. Uh, Just a very fun conversation with her, so I'm excited to share that with you. Uh, Not talking a lot of strategy, just talking about uh, some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on at the World Series of Poker, and I think you're going to enjoy her energy and her take on some things. So uh, I'll come back after sharing a little bit about my Vegas trip. We'll come back with that interview with Sarah. So let's take a quick break right now, thank Running Aces, and we'll come back with my thoughts from Vegas and then that interview with Sarah Herring. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Well, once again, thanks to Running Aces for making this show possible. Really appreciate your support. Uh, They're also co-branding with us on our merchandise. Uh, If you're interested in getting some rec poker, running aces gear, go to flopptheworld.com. Well, the trip to Vegas was awesome. Uh, Last year was my first time out there uh, for the World Series, uh, and this year we repeated it. Uh, We flew this year, uh, which was a very good decision. Last year we drove out there the 27 hours from Minnesota, and uh, as as fun as it was, uh, we were pretty exhausted on the front end and the back end. So flying out there was great. We did an Airbnb condo about uh, about a ten minute walk from the Rio, which was fantastic. Uh, we used Lyft wherever we needed to go, uh, where we didn't want to walk, but we could walk from the strip from where we were. We walked to the Rio. Uh, we ordered some food that got delivered to our condo. It was fantastic. Great week. And I want to thank uh, the guys that were with me for just making it. Uh, super special. Uh, the same guys that were with me last year that went this year, uh, Carl Woodington and Stacy Nelson. Uh, and this year we also, Andy Kaplan came with us. So it was us four in the condo. And then we also had Max Havlish and Matt Hamilton crash with us. So it was fun to to get to know those guys a little bit, pick their brain whenever we had downtime, which wasn't very much, to be frank. Uh, we were out there for eight days And I did a total of 31 tournament entries in that eight days. So uh, not a lot of rebuys, honestly, uh, just because there's so many tournaments going on that if I were to bust one within two, three hours, I could find one uh, that was starting soon. Uh, But it did a whole combination of different things. The only bracelet event that I played was the Millionaire Maker. Everything else was either part of the World Series Deep Stacks or with some special events that were going on around town, sort of in that $150 to $250 range, and then did a number of just kind of the daily tournaments uh, that were small fields at some of the casinos that were just sort of fun to to do and uh, very low-key and had a good time with those. 
As far as my results, I had five caches out of the 31 tournaments I played. So in the money, 16% of the time, which, you know, is sort of about expectation. Unfortunately, it was the smaller tournaments that I generally cashed in and the bigger tournaments I didn't cash in, which was sort of a bummer. And I was actually having a pretty miserable week uh, until the final day there. And um, I'd started playing at uh, 8 in the morning. There's a tournament 8 in the morning. Uh, on that our last full day there and I played several tournaments uh, I think I played three or four tournaments throughout the day an 8 a.m. a 10 a.m. played the 4 p.m. deep stacks uh, started at 7 p.m. and just had really bad luck really bad variance uh, which was the case throughout the week and you know we all have bad beats but it was a really rough week of variance we'll talk a little bit about that uh, but at 10 o'clock that night I'd already played for I guess about 14 straight hours I was about to call it a night and said, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to fire this, uh, 10 PM, uh, the, the world series daily deep stack at 10 o'clock. Uh, the, the variant sort of caught up with me. I uh, played well, ran well, ended up uh, winning that thing. Uh, we did do a, a heads up shop, but I was a two to one chip leader. So I took the majority of it. Uh, but that didn't get done till almost six in the morning. So I was going on 22 straight hours of poker, which is fantastic. But anyway, I uh, ended up um, taking about 3500 bucks out of that $150 buy-in. That saved the week for me uh, and ended on a really high note. So that was exciting. Um, a couple of things I wanted to chat briefly about, a couple of, well, at least one hand that, um, you know, I might want some input on, some people's thoughts on this. I had Pocket Kings pre-flop and, I, and I'm regretting not folding, not just because of the decision, but I'm wondering if, uh, or not just because of the result, but I'm wondering if the decision was okay. It, it was in the Millionaire Maker. Uh, and we were fairly deep into day one. We'd gotten through about half the field. We started with 7,500 chips, and I'd built that to about 35,000. So uh, in really good shape relative to the field. Uh, there's only one other uh, bigger stack at the table. That was the guy on my direct left who had about 40,000 chips, so he had me covered. Uh, I had about 60 big blinds, somewhere in that range. I believe the blinds were 300, 600 with 100 ante. So I had around 60 big blinds. The guy on my left had been three-betting me quite a bit. So even though I was able to build a stack, you know, it was really navigating his pretty aggressive three-bets on me. Uh, and so it was sort of interesting the whole day, uh, that dynamic. So I had a pretty aggressive player on my left, at least relative to my opens. And I pick up kings on the button, which obviously is a fantastic spot to pick them up. It folds around to me, and I, I raised kind of what had been standard, a little over 2x. I went to 1,400 with the big blind at 600. And he's in the small blind, and he three bets me, uh, which has been pretty common. And and this I would expect even more so because you know I'm on the button, my range is going to be really wide to open. So he three bets me, and I'm assuming that his range is really wide too. He might even be doing this with any two cards, knowing that you know my opening range on the button in an un you know uncontested pot thus far was pretty wide. So he three bets me. He goes to about 3,400. Uh, the big blind folds, and it comes back around to me, and I've got kings now. You know, I'm considering flatting here, just calling uh, to try to uh, disguise the strength of my hand a little bit to maybe not bloat the pot pre-flop. But, you know, I don't want to lose a customer. Um, so, you know, I'm really considering flatting, but uh, but I also don't mind making a statement here. If I four bet and he folds, you know, I'm certainly not going to show. Uh, I'm just going to let him know that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm this is an opportunity for me to really stand up with a big hand. Uh, and my hand is still pretty underrepresented because... Uh, you know, we both believe that I'm opening wide. I We both probably believe that he's three betting wide. And so my four betting range here is not just going to be supreme hands. It could be fairly wide as well. So uh, anyway, I elect to four bet uh, and I make it 8,000. Uh, his raise was to 3,400. I make it 8,000. 
And at this point, he just starts staring me down. Okay, so he's just staring at me intently. And it's probably three to four minutes of this, you know, I'm sure he's thinking, but he's also just staring. And I don't know, this is where, you know, I'm not sure how to interpret that. If he's looking at me to see how strong I am, or if he's looking at me to see how weak I am, or if I'm giving any tells or whatever, you know, I'm doing the best I can to just, you know, to just stare at the at the board, um, to not give any indication, but who knows what was going on with my carotid, I don't know, you know, who knows what's going on there. Uh, ultimately, he decides to shove, so I had raised 8000 and he just rips in um, his 40000 which is effectively my 35000 so it's it's 27000 more for me to make the call. It's my tournament life. The pot is just under 45000 so 45000 in the pot, 27000 to call to rip it in, and I've got a huge decision. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to fold kings pre-flop. I've done it a few times in obvious situations. But the dynamic here, and I think normally I probably would have. I just would have kept the uh, kept the 27,000. Uh, I'd still have 45 big blinds. I'd still be well above average. I'd still be in good shape uh, and just move on to the next day or to the next hand. But in this dynamic where I'm on the button, he's in the small blind, he'd been raising quite a bit. It's one of these, you know, he knows that I know that he knows that I know. And, it, and I've been in these situations before with people and, you know, they don't have to have a big hand to make this sort of play. And so I'm wondering, was he looking at me and discovering that I was weak or he thought I was weak and so he thought he could just shove and take the pot? Or did I think, you know, he discovered that I'm really strong and therefore, you know, he shoved to get full value out of my big hand with pocket aces. And it, it was a tough decision and I'd love some some thoughts on this, but I did elect to make the call and he did have aces and he did bust me. And... You know, it's not so much focused on the result. Uh, obviously, it's a bad situation. But what I had to rec- wrestle with a little bit was, you know, downside protection. Uh, I could just fold and be out of it. But I also want to build. I want to take the opportunity to get a big stack so that I can, you know, catch those short stacks as they're shoving and that sort of thing. And so ultimately what I did is I asked myself, what do I feel like he would shove here? What do I think he would five bet shove with? Hearing the voices in my head that uh, from the past of people saying, well, if it's a, if people ever five bet shove, it's always aces. Um, I, I recognize that, but I also know in this dynamic button small blind with the aggressive nature of our relationship thus far that he's wider than that. So uh, what I determined uh, was that I did believe that he would do this with jacks or queens, even though that's not a great hand because of the ranging that I would have to open uh, and to forebed him, I think he would do this with jacks, queens, kings, aces, uh, ace-king, and maybe even ace-queen suited if he really felt like I was uh, fairly weak and willing to fold. So with that, even if I thought he would just do this with queens, kings, aces, and not even ace-king or not even jacks, I still think I probably need to make the call from an expected value perspective the question is from a you know from an ICM utility tournament sort of approach, what should I make this call if I think he would do this with queens, kings, or aces? Um, I'm getting two to one pot odds, uh, so it's I don't know it's a tricky spot. But anyway, I ended up calling. I ended up busting the Millie Maker, which was disappointing, uh, especially since I did have investors. Uh, it's one thing for me to lose to bust a tournament. It's another thing to feel like oh, I let my investors down, especially when I felt like I was rolling pretty good. Um, so anyway. Uh, that was one situation that I, I really I really kind of struggled with. Uh, the rest of the week, I would say, was, was characterized by a lot of bad variants. And I know people say they always have bad variants. Uh, it was really rough, especially with pocket aces. I think I said at, at one point I was 
Uh, I'd gotten two walks with pocket aces, and otherwise I was one for seven playing them at one point in the in the week. So it was pretty rough. And and the one that really stings, uh, not that I want to tell bad beat stories, so I'll make it quick, but just I was playing the 1 o'clock daily deep stack. They had like 1,100 entries, 165 people paid, like 180 left. So we're getting close to the bubble. And I had like 50 big blinds, so I was in great shape. Uh, pocket aces. And then, of course, uh, the, the only guy that had me covered at the table again uh, had pocket kings. We end up getting it in, so sort of a reverse situation from the Millie Maker, kids, kids kings versus my aces. Uh, and he ended up spiking a king, and I busted there just short of the money, which was incredibly disappointing. Uh, and the other one that really stings was I had pocket aces, played it aggressively, kept firing. Uh, the guy in the big blind defended with jack five suited on a jack high board, so I got paid every street, and then he hit a five on the river. And that was another one where it was a pretty big spot and a pretty critical situation. And so uh, those were the things that were sort of characterizing my week, and it was tough. And, you know, I've done a lot of talking on this show about variance and luck and and not trying to get down and just playing, you know, making good decisions. Um, but of course, those sorts of things sort of grate on you when you're in Vegas, you're at the World Series, this is the Mecca, this is the thing, and and you start running um, some some bad things like that. Of course, I had my share of positive variants, but you know, you always remember the bad stuff. So so that was rough. Uh, but but anyway, as as the week sort of unfolded, I started realizing that I, you know maybe there's a leak in my game here. Not so much the variance piece, but uh, I was really struggling with. Um, with playing post-flop, especially when I was the pre-flop aggressor, with sort of those middling hands. So the pocket sixes, the ace-jack, you know, raising those things from middle to late position and then sort of being lost post-flop when I got called by somebody in position on me. And, um, you know, we didn't have a chance to talk a lot to Max and Matt just because they were uh, in and out there playing different tournaments than, than we were. Uh, but I did have a chance to, to nail them down uh, fairly late in the week. Uh, we happened to be at the condo together and I started talking about this feeling. I'm just feeling a little bit lost, which was sort of a new feeling for me. And and uh, Matt, they both had some great insight, but Matt shared with me some things that I believe were from Doug Polk about, about um, sort of categorizing your hands uh, in terms of, you know, these are our, your value hands, the hands that you really connected with big that you want to get some value from. Uh, you've got hands that are your medium strength hands, you know, the second pair, the, the top pair, weak kicker. Um, sort of gut shot draws, kind of those things. And then you've got your strong draws where you've got a lot of outs, you know, big flush draws, straight draws, overs, that thing. And then your complete trash. And talk, he was talking a bit about how, you know, continuation betting with your with your value hands and with your big draws and, and just uh, playing more passively, playing more checks, uh, check call, even uh, those sorts of things with your other hands. And that conversation, and it was a lot more in-depth than that, and I actually did some research after the conversation, but that conversation alone really triggered something in me, and it really made me more comfortable, made me more relaxed playing post-flop. Uh, my my gut was always, you know, if I raise pocket sixes in mid-position and I get called by somebody on the button and the flop comes uh, jack, eight, three, I always feel like, man, if I don't continuation bet, they're just going to bet and I'm going to have to fold and it's going to be ugly. And, you know, I should see bet that and try to blow them off of that versus, you know, playing a little bit more slow and not bloating the pot. And what I found was I got way more checkbacks than I ever thought I would. Uh, and so it, it changed, uh, and I could go into a lot of detail about that, but it really changed my paradigm post-flop. I ended up playing uh, smaller pots with smaller hands, which is exactly what you want to do. I wasn't bloating pots. 
and often because of that, I could underrepresent my hand a little bit. I could I could do a lot of check calling with second pair. You know, check call the flop, or you know, check call the turn, see what see what happened on the next street, what card came, what they decided to do, uh, and it actually changed uh, changed my game quite a bit, and it made me more relaxed playing. And I do credit that for uh, my success late in the week, including uh, winning that ten o'clock uh, deep stack. So uh, that was an interesting conversation that really uh, was an insight for me that that really helped me out uh, quite a bit. So. Uh, that's sort of my week in review. Uh, a lot of great experience, a lot of great play. I uh, had a chance to just see everybody that was a who's who that was out there. The $50,000 uh, Players Championship was going on. So I had a chance to actually chat with Fox uh, Wallace quite a bit, but also had a chance to, to watch and, um, and, and, and see people like Brian Rast and Jason Mercier and Phil Ivey and Alan Kessler and just kind of uh, you know, all of these guys that you, you sort of know uh, from afar had a chance to meet Kui uh, Win. Um, also ran into a former bracelet, uh, main event bracelet winner that I talked about on Twitter a little bit. Uh, that was not a very enjoyable uh, conversation. Uh, I respect people's space, but uh, it was one of those uh, situations where I'm like, wow, this is a. This is pretty rough. Uh, it was a pretty uh, rough interaction. So uh, some interesting conversations, interesting experiences out there. But uh, one of the highlights of that trip was uh, meeting Jeff Platt and Sarah Herring. Uh, Jeff's a great player. Uh, I know at, the, at that point he was entering day two or day three of the marathon uh, when I had a chance to talk with him. Sarah is just a, a bundle of energy. But meeting them was a really a highlight. And Stacy Nelson and I were in there uh, chatting with them a little bit. Uh, they interviewed me for Poker News, so check that out. I also got a chance to interview Sarah about uh, her work with Poker News uh, and just had a delightful conversation that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. So uh, with that, thanks for listening to me rambling a little bit about my week in Vegas. Had a great time. Uh, hoping it, it is an annual thing that I'm able to do. I know we continue to get interest from people that want to go out there and, and be part of our group. Um, so who knows what's going to happen going forward, but just a wonderful time. And thanks for all of you who either uh, invested or sent encouragement or uh, were sort of virtually railing uh, my progress or sent me the sympathies about the Millionaire Maker or whatever it was. I appreciate all the support and encouragement. Uh, I, I learned a lot, and I'm excited to share some of that as we go forward. So with that, um, let's, uh, let's hear the interview that I had with Sarah Herring. All right, everybody. Well, here, as promised, with Sarah Herring of Poker News. Sarah, man, thanks so much for taking the time. Of course. Of course. I would, would like nothing more than to just chit-chat instead of being out there wandering around looking for stories. Nice, <laughs> exactly. But there's some big stories coming up here that you'll be covering pretty soon. Yeah, of course. Every day, there's always stories. And actually, I will say this, in terms of the World Series, every, every time before the World Series starts, I get stressed out, and oh my gosh, it's so much work, and it's so crazy, but I swear, every day, you come in, you're not sure what's going to happen, you think, okay, I'm going to do this winter interview, or I'm going to do that, and always, always things find you, you know, always, I wander around, and just someone will say, oh, did you hear about that guy who's doing this, or oh, this person's wearing, like, an astronaut outfit, or, like, whatever it is, <laughs> there's, it's like, the there's always... When you put this many people together in a small space, stories are always going right. to sort of like find find their way to the surface. A lot of poker players are pretty interesting characters, so yes. who knows what they're going to do, say, or yes. And so, so as you as you look at your whole spectrum of things, as you approach the World Series. You've got a ton of responsibilities. How much of those are sort of set things that you know I'm going to be doing this? I'm going to be covering bracelet ceremonies. I'm going to be doing these videos. And how much of it is just this spontaneous be here and be prepared to cover what happens? So. I will say this. So I'm sort of like a type A personality in general. And when I first started this job in 2010, 
when I started going to cover poker tournaments, you know, going to like Brazil or Portugal, or I'm trying to think of some of the, the very first stops I went to, I would come, you know, with like a full on plan and like, I want to do this video and I'm hoping to interview this person at this time. And it was really a, a, an interesting lesson for me in learning how to let go of the control and to just be spontaneous. And I had this full-on moment. So uh, Lynn Gil Martin was basically training me in in Brazil. Actually, I was supposed to have been trained already, but I was more figuring out what was going on when we got to Brazil. And I remember sort of some people just started playing soccer outside. It was like Joe Cata and like Philippe Ramos. And they started playing soccer outside. And Lynn was like, oh my gosh, people are playing soccer outside. Like, let's go get the camera. You know, like, let's go make it. And I was such a structured person. I came from a, I was an AD. I came from a film background. And so on a movie set, you're not just like, oh, let's just go like, get a random shot out of nowhere like you plan everything from shot to shot the lighting has to be a certain way you know you gotta have the audio everything is very very scheduled and so when Lynn was like let's go outside and shoot this I was like I realized all of a sudden okay I'm gonna miss an opportunity to make a great video because I'm so busy trying to do what I planned on doing and now it really is I've really learned so much about just letting go and letting I hardly ever have a plan now when I go to a tournament. Maybe I'll have a few random ideas, but I almost never have a plan because if you do, I actually think it gets in the way of finding out what's really happening and finding out who's really there, you know? And the bloggers, I don't know how much, you know, your audience knows about what we do, but basically it's sort of like being um, a journalist for a poker tournament, right? So the bloggers go and they, they keep track of chips and they write down hands and they find people's stories. They find out, you know, this guy qualified for this amount or so really for me, it's they're probably just my biggest asset is just trying to connect and, and make relationships with the people who are on the floor talking to people and they will tell you all of the stories and then you can sort of cherry pick what feels the most visual. Because I do think that's another part of the problem is a lot of people will tell you like, oh, this guy, you know, he qualified for one penny and it's so exciting. But then, like, that's not that's a story you can write. That's a story that people, someone might want to read, but that maybe isn't a story that looks good on, on camera. Video. Yeah, so, you know, it's always, it's like a balance, trying to find the stories and then trying to pick the ones that will translate best in a visual medium. So really just putting people in all sorts of places to, to find all the stories. Have, have all your bases covered mm-hmm. by folks that have sort of standard things that they're doing. They sort of funnel those up, and then you get the opportunity to say, okay, what am I going to do where? Where are we going to write something? We're going to video something? And yes. And remaining flexible there. And I think, you know, what I was thinking about the other day, too, is that when I – I can't imagine – if I, I would never go back probably and start this job over again because when I first started and I didn't have these relationships with the poker players, it's so much more difficult to, I see now, you know, when I'm training people who are new and trying to get them to find the stories and figure the things out, it's so interesting to me too that sometimes, you know, I'll run into someone in the hallway and, you know, thank you Jesus that I've managed now to make all of these these relationships because I run into someone in the hallway and they say, oh my gosh, yeah, so-and-so just got married last, you know, they got drunk and got married last night or (laughs) so-and-so got arrested or, you know, I... Do you have pictures on your phone? Exactly. Like this though, I think, you know, there's, there's this sort of investigative journalism element too though, which comes, you know, after years and years of knowing players and, and knowing their stories and, um, yeah, I definitely, I... (laughs) I don't think I have the energy now to like go back and build the relationships that I did. So you're saying you had more energy before? Oh yeah. Oh yikes. come on, when you're like 25. <laughs> okay, big yikes. All right. <laughs> 
That's hard for me to imagine at this point. <laughs> this is a t- this will be gone in like a few hours. I promise. It only lasts. There's just like a morning buzz that gotcha. goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about that. How did you transition then from whatever you're doing in film to? poker like did you have a poker background or how did you end up covering no. poker now being friends with or not at least even. knowing all these poker players and interviewing texas dolly and, and how did you get from there to here and not even a little bit so i was doing film in los angeles and um i met my husband on a my now husband on a film set it was a really a gem of a movie i was working on titled sex blood and fights which okay. actually later it came out when the movie came out it was called yeah it was called Never Surrender when the movie actually came out um, but so my husband was at the time uh, fighting in the UFC and he actually he had just fought in Minnesota oh is that right yeah he fought okay. Brock Lesnar in what this like sure. whatever Thunderdome they okay. had in, in Minnesota <laughs> um, so when I met him you know for a while we were going back and forth he would come to LA we would meet in New Orleans like you know I would come to Vegas and. After a while, we decided that it was probably time to move in together. So I moved to Vegas to be with him. And for the first probably year, I would I was still working on films. But mostly I would go, say, to like Iowa or Michigan. or mm-hmm. And then I'm gone for two months, you know, two and a half months, six weeks, whatever it is. And we just started to realize that, you know, like we liked each other and we liked to be around each other. And it's, it's, a good thing. it's really hard to, to yeah live that kind of life you know and it was funny because that's that was like my dream my whole life and I was sort of realizing my dream and you know I was working on movie sets and Mm -hmm. I started to get into some of the bigger movies and um I ended up getting really fortunate that I was uh, had the opportunity to be Taft Hartley into the Directors Guild which was my full-on dream but it also was expensive and we had I basically had this moment where I kind of had to make a decision I got arrested at the airport in at Bob Hope Airport in uh, California, I had a prop from a movie in my purse, which was um, Brass Knuckles, mm-hmm. and it was a prop for a movie, so I don't know. I forgot. I shouldn't have right. had it in my purse, but I didn't think about it, and um, I got arrested, and this turned into like a huge drama. I had to pay a lot of fines. I had to buy a really expensive attorney. I was going to be charged in both state and federal court. It was a state crime because they have these really aggressive gang laws in okay, California. Sure. So it's it's like the, they have these laws where it's like it doesn't matter. The punishment is going to be the punishment no matter what, no matter what your you know mitigating mm-hmm. circumstances. And then the federal thing, I was going to be like they're like talking about the no fly list and all. I was like, and I had letters it's from the director. Yeah, I had the call sheets. I had all this stuff. But basically, so. Mm-hmm. I was invited to be in the Directors Guild. Literally, like, three weeks later, this thing happened with um, getting arrested. And so it got to this space where we negotiated down a plea, and almost all the money that I had saved to get into the Directors Guild went to paying my fines and my fees. My husband paid for my attorney, my now husband, and I had to work two months, basically, 48-hour days of community service. So I worked for two months, and... Basically, what happened is my husband was like, why don't you... He was at a charity poker tournament, and he met someone who ran this thing called the Nevada Partnership for Homeless Youth, and they invited me to do my community service there. So I moved to Las Vegas to come and do my community service, and then at the end of that period, um, you know, it was either like, okay, I kind of start over again with this movie thing and Mm -hmm. try to, like, resave the money for the guild and hopefully, like, get back in again, 
um, or try something else. And so I just looked on Craigslist for like production work that was happening around here. I thought maybe because they had filmed The Hangover here and a couple other movies. So I thought, oh, maybe there'll be a movie around here. And I saw they were looking for a production assistant for the World Series of Poker pokernews.com was Mm -hmm. so i went and interviewed and the guy said you know like to be fair you're really overqualified i don't know that you know like a production assistant is really the role for you but um i'd like to like bring you on the team and just see if we can find a place that fits for you i'd like you to help with the scheduling i'd like you to help kind of manage the team and make sure that when i'm not there during the summer that you know everyone's getting there on time and getting to the right places and so I did that, but I had I had intended to go back to film. I had I had two jobs lined up right after the World Series, um, but then at the end of the World Series, they said, "Would you like to travel to Brazil and make videos?" And I said, "Well, let me think about it for a second. Um, but even at that time, I was still um, producing stuff behind the camera, so I was creating poker video content, but I wasn't in front of the camera. And it wasn't until probably two years after that, I think maybe 2002 was, or I'm sorry, 2012 was the first time that um, actually Poker Stars, who we were making video content for, the person who was in charge of video there said, you know, like, hey, I think I would like to see you in front of the camera. Do you want to try that? And I said, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. That was, that has been a big learning process. That was not something that I was just like. So you didn't jump into that gonna, going, yes, I'm, I'm made to be in front of the screen. It was really sort of a. It was terrifying, mm. and especially because it's not. I mean, I think I'm obviously very outgoing. It wasn't like a, like you know I'm so shy. Like how will we ever peel away the layers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this has been you know for people that don't know, we've been talking here for about four hours. I've been patching this together. <laughs> Just to make it sound like, she just, like, she like pull you out of the show, girl. This <laughs> I knew that it would be easy in that sense, but also, and this is something we had talked about a little bit too, you know, when you put something out there on the internet, the internet can often be extremely harsh. And mm. especially for someone in the poker industry, I, you know, poker was not my thing. I never claimed to be, you know, some expert in poker. Right. To be fair, I did start playing a lot of poker after I got into this, and my husband had always played, so we played a lot together. Um, I lived in downtown Vegas, so there was just tons of cheap, easy tournaments I could walk to and walk home. And I really, I do love poker, but the biggest anxiety for me was about putting myself out there and then just letting people judge me, right. sort of as you know, like, well, what do you know, or what does she know, and. And there were plenty of moments of, you know, saying people's names wrong and plenty of moments of, you know, not not even having follow-up questions because I'm so afraid that it'll sound so stupid when I ask, you know, but why would you do that there? Right. What is this? And so it, there was definitely a lot of, of finding my footing. But also, also I think, I, I remember just going back and re-watching some of those videos last year and even the sound of my voice isn't my voice like I'm like right. hey guys it's me here and you can just tell that there's so much tension and mm. and I had a big moment where um after about a year I think of being in front of the camera Christy Arnett who I don't know if you guys know her but she's one of my dearest closest friends and she said I don't know how to say this to you Sarah I don't receive constructive criticism very well so that <laughs> might have been part of it um but she said I don't know how to say this except for that to tell you that your bloopers are the most engaging part of your Mm -hmm. videos and you're just not like being yourself and if you would just learn to be yourself I think people would like you a lot more and I think that probably translates into a lot of things in a lot of areas like you know people are the most interesting 
when they're themselves. And I even think this is why the vlogs are such a big thing now yeah. is that people admitting, you know, that like sometimes they have bad downswings or talking about, you know, like I don't want to get out of bed some days because it, you know, it's just good to see people being real and being honest and being vulnerable. And so I talked to my boss about it at the time, someone I really respected and um, who I really trusted his opinion. And he said, honestly, Sarah, when you took this role, I was thinking, oh, we have Lynn, who's like the super sweet, nice girl. And we have Christy, who's the very, you know, like poker centric girl. And he said, I thought you would be sort of like the sarcastic, witty girl. But instead, you've been trying to be the nice girl. Mm. And I and I, you know, I slept I slept on it quite a bit. I thought about it a lot. And and I do think, yeah, everyone was right when I finally just was myself it was much easier to just do my job and do it in a way that was entertaining and engaging although I still have lots of times where you know I feel you know out of my element or where I feel that it's just difficult I think I'm sure you know like when you're putting stuff out on on the internet it's you just know sometimes I just put something up and I literally know know I know at least six things that are going to come from it and you just have to put it up there anyways and put the like upload button and most of the time I don't care anymore but it's it's just funny it doesn't matter like still sometimes I'll read something that's like nothing right. and it still hurts like we still, still want hurts. people to like us we yeah, still want exactly. to be respected and yeah. those sort of things and, and especially when you are being yourself right. that's I think some that's of worse. the most painful yeah, yeah it's like exactly. as long as I was like faking it then I was like oh well if they knew the real me then like whatever right. but when you try to when you really do when you really are yourself and then people don't like that it's yeah. like oh man well that sucks but can you just watch something else then like quit watching me right, exactly <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Isn't there other options? Yes, I mean, it's the internet. Right. I'm sure you could find something. But it's like so true when you watch, like even like public speaking. I go to a lot of conferences and that sort yeah. of thing. And you can just tell when speakers shift from this is my prepared speech in my in my presenter's voice mm-hmm. and it's something that I deal with. I, I do a lot of speaking and I, I just know when I'm doing that versus when I'm just like, hey, all this is kind of what I'm talking about. Yes. You know, you can just tell that shift, and it's so much more engaging when it's real. And so the same thing for you too. When you're, yeah, there's times where you have to do something that isn't really you, just. But when you can just let that go and say, here's who I am, here's what I do, and maybe that podcast gives you that, maybe some of the videos. I know Christy Arnett a little bit uh, from the videos. I said like, you had a cameo in one very interesting video. I know of that. I'm like, oh, okay. But, but it seems like you got to, But it was just a fun, you know, just a fun light video. So I'm curious now as, you, as you're kind of looking back, as you're, as you're building relationships with these poker players and the media or whoever's around and um, – what are some of the common threads that you see among some of the great players? Like, I'm, I'm always curious about this as a recreational player. I just wonder, like, especially like personality type, not so much like strategy things, but just do you notice uh, any any similarities or things that stand out when you can say that's probably somebody who is or is going to be a, a top level player? Or no, just I don't think at all. I think that's one of the weirdest things for me about poker because you know. So in some of my time in the film industry. I had cast, I worked with a casting agent for a couple of years on different projects. And, um, you know, you can see sometimes, you can just see someone and you can say, okay, that person is like an extremely talented actress right. and like she has a certain look the or this guy. Yeah, like you, it's just pretty clear usually. Not always, but there's definitely things where you can say, okay, there's something about that that that's in everyone that's super successful outside of just the nepotism thing, because that's also like a big, big factor. But I think the interesting thing with poker is that it's really, I really don't think there are a lot of common threads. I mean, you could say there's this, you know, extreme competitiveness, 
But I could also say, I think there's a lot of poker players that, that it doesn't read like that or it doesn't feel like that. So, you know, like Eric Seidel, like I'm sure he's mm-hmm. super competitive, but I don't look at him and just think like, oh yeah, that guy, he's right. super competitive. Or, you know, I think there's um, even for a while I started thinking, oh, well, they're, they're all, you know, so interested in being like the best versions of themselves. And that's what it is, you know, because they're, mm-hmm. I think there's quite a few of these elite poker players now that are super into, you know, like meditation and binaural music and try all these different ways. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The eating all this, like the, there was definitely a shift in that. And I thought, oh, well, that's, that's what they're all doing now. But that's not true either. Some of the best poker players <laughs> in the world, like take Adderall and smoke weed and mm-hmm. like do whatever they want. Like, I don't know. I really don't think that there is any one thing and I also think that that's part of what makes it so interesting you can put these you know at a final table where you have even just at the last the six max final table there was so it's you can put these totally different personality types and totally different styles and totally different even the way that their posture is different and everything about them is different and somehow I think that's what makes the the competition so interesting yeah, so I thought about this a while because I'm kind of looking for those common threads too. Not that you can become somebody else, but you know, do you, do you feel like if Dennis just the the successful players are just really comfortable with who they are and they no so no okay so no. You're, you're supposed to be helping me figure this out no but I, I don't think that no at man. all in fact I okay. think a lot think of them are just like super social anxiety I think a lot of them are like extremely uncomfortable not just but in they, conversations but are they but, it, but are they very self aware of that and they sort of adjust for that or no do they are they acting like they're somebody they're not or because my my contention is just are mm-hmm. they you know even if they're super you know introverted and awkward. Maybe they're self. Maybe it's self-aware. Just being aware of who that is and what makes you comfortable and uncomfortable, or you don't see that either. Maybe, but I don't know. I feel like most people who are self-aware shed that sort of social anxiety mm. in general. Like I think once you know yourself pretty well, it's pretty easy to like just be yourself then. Or I, I, oh, okay, yeah. I think. But I also do think there could be quite a lot of it, and I think we saw a lot more of this. So in the first few years that I that I got into poker, most of the big name players that were coming out were online sickos, right? Like before Black Friday, right. it was I was just meeting so many people that it was super clear to me did not have a lot of experience with you know people, women, people, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I think that was a lot of my first impression of of a lot of these brilliant, brilliant minds in poker. And since then, obviously, a lot of that has changed. A lot of them moved, you know, to other places or new kind of people came came up. And I think, though, that, yeah, there's... I guess probably... I mean, I want to say that one thing that most of them probably have is that they're really good at math, you mm-hmm. know, or that they really understand, you know, probabilities. Logic. And, yeah, logic. That is definitely something. I think most of poker players are deeply, deeply invested in... in you know these sort of pragmatic ideas and and how to how to make everything make sense in logic and i don't think that i guess that's it though if there is a sort of common thread yes it would be that like this obsession with logic this obsession with sort of becoming the best version of yourself becoming the best you know mm-hmm. human being as a whole i do think that's something that that not everyone but that quite a lot of poker players have at this point and i think that's a big part of why the game just continues to get better and different and yeah. sort of evolving. But then you have all these weirdos too. Like, 
You have all these weirdos too Name that are names, crazy. Please. But even even some of the old school guys or whatever. Like I'm not going right. to say like okay yeah Mike Matisau. Like do I think Mike Matisau is like really trying to you know evolve himself? Do I think he's like super logic based? Like probably not. But he's had a successful poker career. Sure. He I think. Yeah, I don't know. It's just because, like, any given Sunday, I guess. You know? And he doesn't really read to me. It says that. No, he's that's what a typical person that you're no. describing. Yeah. But it, well, or well, even well. Doyle. It's like yeah. Doyle's a legend, but I think he sees the world really differently yeah. than most poker does, players. Yeah. I think he handles himself very, like, he just handles himself differently than most poker players. And you have your sort of, you know, your Greg Mersons or your Gordos or people that are just very clearly very cerebral. Mm-hmm. You have your other players who are just, you know, very charming and kind of... And then I guess one of the most interesting things... So, for example, Fedor. I remember the first time I, I interviewed Fedor in Barcelona and I'd never seen him and he's playing a 25K, mm-hmm. right? So I was asking, like, who is this kid who's just playing a 25K? Yeah, right. And he had, like, acne and yeah, he was oh, just, yeah. like, so little and skinny and, and <laughs> you know, one of the bloggers said, oh, he's he's been playing online for a long time and he's, like, a legend. He probably just, you know, he's just, like, coming into the live world now and, you know, we know now where that went. It clearly went really well for him. He had just come back from... He, like, ran up some money online and then brought it all to Honduras or something, did, you know, building houses in Honduras. He very clearly from a really young age, you know, wanted to give back and wanted to sort of elevate next level. He wasn't just focused on poker even then, even at 18 or however old he was. But it was interesting because that interview was super awkward. He was obviously really uncomfortable and um, really nervous. But then, you know, four years later, mm-hmm. even just a couple years later, it seemed like he had really grown into himself. He had a little fashion sense. He'd had some right. success then and, um, you know, recognition. And I will say that a lot of maybe the social anxiety was or can be just from, you know, growing up that once they start to grow up a little bit, a lot of them kind of like find their footing or, yeah, or do a few interviews and realize it's okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. People, yeah. people generally react well to you. Yeah. So, so super cool thinking about, you know, all the opportunities you've had to talk to these players and kind of hear their backgrounds and their stories and get to know them a little bit. As you think about, um, you know, moving back to sort of the recreational side of things and you playing some tournaments, your husband playing some tournaments and, you know, what do you, how do you think, Folks move from. I mean, we're not we're not all going to be Fedor Holtz, but but how do you move from you know just kind of liking the game as a hobby and then moving up to, through the ranks, you know whatever that looks like, and you know do you, do you see common traits there? Or are people just lucky? I mean, is, is a game of variance, and some people just have more variance. Or what are those common threads that you see? We either from a very recreational player to to mid level or mid level to high level. What's that? What are those characteristics that you see in people that say? that's how you become successful at this game. Only one thing. And I think it's the same thing in every industry. Actually, it's the same advice I would give anyone in in anything that they're interested in. In movies, the best way to get jobs in movies is to make friends who work on movies already. Like, that's it, right? Networking. Everyone knows it. But it's the same with poker. The best, most likely chance I think I see for most people to be successful is to find themselves a group of friends who's already kind of successful or who are getting very successful. And I think there's a whole slew of things that contribute to that, just the same as in any other industry. It's about being able to seize opportunities when they come because you're just at the right place at the right time. It's about 
I think specifically in poker, part of it is about the financial thing. You know, if you if you're able to sort of split some losses, sometimes if you're able to get people to support you, in even Christy, like I saw Christy the other day, and we were talking about the package she kind of put together for the World Series, and she was like, I didn't even put it on Twitter. I had you know like everybody was like, I want it, I want it, you know, I like give me this much of your package. Just people she knows, friends she has. So so she's she's able to play X number of tournaments where, for example, if you or I are buying in, we're maybe paying the whole thing. And it's, it's a lot harder to, to get to the first position if you only play two tournaments instead right. of ten. But that all comes through networking and building the trust. For sure. and, and also then I think finally you get much better because if you have people who are better than you telling you what you're doing wrong, then you're just going to get better. So what would you say to the folks that are out there? I mean, I've been able to build a network of friendships and relationships where we can kind of learn from each other and from people that are at levels above us. But there's people that are out there that are kind of learning the game, but they don't really have those connections. Is it just, you know, what's your advice as a as a extroverted networking specialist to say, you know, how do you take, you know, because a lot of us poker players are introverts and we are just kind of in our own head. How do they make friends? How do they develop those sort of friendships? How do they uh, build a network of people that they can learn from? Is it just, just do it? Or what advice do you have as a, as a psychologist in our... I hear you, no, I hear you, though, because I do think it's so much easier said than done. Like, oh, just make a good good group of friends who are super sick at poker already. I mean, as an extrovert, that that actually is easy. Or somebody that's just willing to say, hey, I need friends that have no poker. Like, as a cute girl, it's probably significantly easier. (laughs) Or or somebody like me that's very used to rejection, I can just put it out to, hey, anybody want to get together? And people say, no, that's okay, whatever. Oh, see, and I hate rejection. But I I do think the internet is, like, our biggest friend our biggest Mm -hmm. tool and so even for example my husband he started um he's been like trading crypto and stuff recent recently or the last year or something and he's always finding these little things and figuring things out and i'm always like how are you doing this like hey he has a lot of time i think probably to figure that out but you know he's like oh i'm in this chat and i'm in this discord group and i'm like in this telegram and you know oh i put this up and i put this gif in this meme and now i'm like moderating this thing and i do think At this point, probably the internet is the easiest place to start to forge and build relationships where, and actually I think a lot of people who are, who have these friendships now, a lot of them started back when people didn't know anybody in their community who played poker. So they were on these old kind of, you know, chat rooms and two plus two and trying to find, Hey, I did this. And, you know, so yeah, I would say like finding forums and, places on the web where you can meet other people and connect and even some of these i think there's all these courses and stuff now you know where people are trying to that you can even do for free i think a lot of people because of this whole trying to become better people type thing or whatever are at least giving portions of their courses for free or offering things online for free so you know even getting in the youtube comments on some of these strategy videos or getting in the in the the chat boxes where the live streams are happening you know like jumping in the chat box when poker stars is streaming something like i think probably that's the yeah, best chance to form really yeah if you, can, if you can sort through sort of all the, the mess that's there you oh, know, there's a lot of stuff just and- all the emojis just yeah. <laughs> no delete all the emojis but I, i've noticed that even like some of the friendships that i built through poker are just you know i'll post something on twitter about a hand and say who has some thoughts and you get a few responses uh, a friend of mine taylor that's how i met him that way he's like he responded and pretty soon like oh i like how he thinks and pretty soon it becomes a, a, a relationship i guess that's it out of that out of that whole deal that's how i found you yeah, that's the it. internet. I or think I it was Chad McVean who like said, <laughs> oh, so it was Chad. Okay, yeah, cool. he tweeted at me and he said, "These are two two podcasts I think you should check out that I really like. His and Hers Poker, 
who we interviewed, who I also love, who you could totally talk to too, because they are recreational poker players, but like brilliant minds. They're attorneys. And they just are on the East Coast and they go every weekend and play, you oh, know, cool. two five or whatever. But they were really, they were really cool. I was really surprised to actually yeah. talk to them. And then same with you. It's like, you know, so Chad listens to my show. He says, listen to this show. Cool. Then I, and then it's just it like, networking. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think well, the internet, man. It's changing the, internet, the world. Man, the internet, it's like man. disconnecting us, but it's also connecting it us at both, the same right? time. It's kind of the two-edged sword. Yeah. Well, I want to respect your time as we kind of get close here, but I'm curious. Now, we, we kind of skipped over this part at the beginning. Like, tell me what you're all doing at the World Series. Like, what? where can people plug into this thing? Like, you know, there, there's so much out there, and so many of us are like, oh, that's a dream to go to the World Series. We can't do it, but I want to live vicariously through people. Like, what are you doing where people should plug in and say, here's the blogs, here's the videos, here's the – like, I know there's so much, but kind of – Help help us weed through the minefield that is all of the chaos. No, and say, it's so easy. Oh, just go to pokernews.com. Just pokernews.com. It's so easy. But I legitimately do believe this, and I wouldn't say this if if I didn't. Poker news is a hundred percent like the best resource you can have for pretty much anything happening in terms of the World Series of Poker or really almost any poker tournament. The bloggers go, they cover like every poker tournament. Even for me, I'm looking for information, I'm looking for stories. Those are the people I go to for them, right? So I'm a journalist, sort of. <laughs> but though, that's where, but I'm on poker news, like that's where I'm yeah. going every day. Yeah. And and even the concept of live reporting it's it, this is a hundred percent what made me fall in love with poker. So that very first summer, I had played a little bit of poker here and there, you know, and I had played like limit. Same first time I went to the casino, I was literally shaking. I was so nervous. Um, you know, I wasn't like a total noob, but I really didn't know anyone or anything. And I would just every day I would come in here, and after everyone started their work i would just read the blog i just read the blog and you're just reading hands you're seeing just like we were talking about earlier on on the other podcast you're not just seeing the hands of oh this was the most exciting thing that happened you're also seeing you know oh this person did this and this and then that person folded and you don't know and you don't see what the cards are but when you're going through the live blog and you're reading it you're able to think to yourself oh i wonder what that person had i would say he had this or oh why did he make this decision there and you're also able i think to sort of learn from other people's mistakes because you see when you're just looking at hands and you're just reading hand after hand after hand you see okay that person was probably just like raising the button there like no matter what and this happened or um it's also, for me, it was a great way to get to know the poker players themselves. So we, they keep track. I mean, the bloggers keep track, of course, of all the notable poker mm-hmm. players, which at this point is so many. It's mm-hmm. crazy how they do it. But they also are keeping track of, we have an app called MyStack. Yep. And so everybody at home also can be keeping track of you, searching for your hands, trying to find you know like what you're doing. I just think for, yeah, if you're not here, but you want to feel like you're here, it's it's a fantastic resource. We have like a Twitter feed where like it scrolls through even sometimes for what's like at that event, like people who are in this event who are tweeting about this event, this is their Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, they have so many so many great things and then of course our videos are probably the the best. So give us a feel for the videos. Like I mean there's there a lot of just fun really fun stuff out there. Is, yeah. is it all just really fun? Is there any strategy stuff? Or is it more just kind of a... Both. Yeah. All talk of talk a little bit about what people can find out there. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always trying to balance it to... And even even over the course of any one day, I'm trying to make sure that we have something fun so that poker players... So, for example, yesterday I interviewed someone uh, named Wino Poker. 
she's been on a few like live at the bike she's been doing some things but uh we did a, a calling the clock so it's just fun silly random stuff like you know but i think it's important for for people to be able to see and connect with their you know their heroes or their mm-hmm. their homies um and then we do a lot of hand analysis where I basically just hold the mic and say, Hey, this was a hand I saw on the blog that was interesting. Can you, you know, talk me through it? We do a lot of winter interviews, you know, just, Hey, Mm -hmm. this is like the most life changing moment for you. Like, how's that going? (laughs) And we have a couple of vlogs. So we have Jesse caps who's been doing a vlog. He travels the circuit mostly. And he was making money as a professional poker player, like four or five years ago, kind of lost everything. And then now has like been dealing and, doing some other stuff and it was meant to be the story of his sort of like comeback I guess but right now I think it's he's been having a little bit of a hard time I think with the being really honest thing Mm -hmm. you know or like Mm -hmm. it's like oh it's so fun and like poker's great again or something and like I'm like just tell people like it sucks and it's hard and that's what people want to hear more than they don't want to know how awesome your life is they want to know like what's what's your struggles but you know that's neither here nor there um Jeff Platt, who's someone who's come on board with us this summer, he's going to be doing a, a vlog series both about playing and behind the scenes stuff. And we, you know, we do a, two times a week. We do a, a news video just to say, you know, these are the most interesting stories that have that have kind of happened. And really, it's like anything goes. Like any given Sunday, tomorrow I'm going to Jamie Kurtzetter's house to shoot. Just like you know, a morning in the life of a poker player getting ready for a tournament. Mm-hmm. I'm. I guess mostly you never know what you're gonna get. Yeah, cool. Sometimes you might get like a vi- like a podcast video. We were doing that for a while, but it's so ugly in the room we're in right now. Like I just it hurts me to think about putting that on a video. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fun. I mean, I think for folks that are out there listening, I mean, your your passion for what you do and, and for poker and meeting Jeff and his passion, and it's just kind of fun. It's just sort of, it's just sort of there. It's sort of rich, and I think. You know, for, for a lot of us that are sort of seeing the dream out there someday to, you know, not to become pro necessarily, but just sort of live that life a little bit more. I think that is a great way to get to the website, check it out, watch the videos, and it kind of gives you that feel for the, the ups and the downs of, of tournament poker life especially. For sure. So for I'm, sure. I'm curious, as we kind of wrap up, I'm really curious, like, um, I have a million questions. but I And I do think that's actually one of the one of the common threads of good poker players is they're inquisitive. You kind of mentioned it earlier. Read that and say, oh, I wonder what, I wonder what. And I think that is a, that's the way a lot of us learn is just through asking questions and wondering and, yes. and that sort of thing. But but as you as you think about Sorry, the no the, the main event, I'm, I'm really curious about that because that's sort of, you know, the dream of every, you know, the bucket list for all of us is, ooh, someday play it. How, what does that look like for you at covering it from, you know, the day ones – uh, and the energy there with probably a ton of recreational players, and then the day two and the day threes start getting into the cash, and day four and five. Now you're starting to get down to you know ten tables, eight tables, five tables. Now you're starting who's going to win eight million dollars? And you know what is it? Is it for you? Is it just it's just a job? I just kind of cover it, or is there is there sort of a uh, no? The, it's the, completely the different. The motion over that you know those ten days or whatever it is where it's starting to go from just this energy. Yeah, cool. We made the money. Ooh, everybody celebrates pop champagne to. No, the now main event real. is it. The main yeah. event is the whole thing that, I mean, to me, that's really what poker is all about. And even, I've told people this story before, but the first summer that I worked the World Series of Poker, that we still had the November 9, and I remember coming back in November into the Penn & Teller Theater, and they had it set up where 
you know, like my husband was a fighter, so I got the whole idea. Like they have like a song, and they come out and they right. set it up like that. This. And the Finn and Teller and everyone had their song, and they came you out. You got all these and, awkward introverts walking out. Oh my <laughs> gosh, but it was amazing. Like I feel like they cool. were into the hype too. Sure, yeah. And and I can remember like I like I had goosebumps mm. when I was there, and I was like, this is so cool. Like who could who would imagine that. That a card game, you know, right. played mostly in like the outskirts of casinos, you know, People's outside basements. of the ding, ding, ding lights of the slot machines, <laughs> that it would that it would feel right. this kind of magical and that it would feel this exciting. And, you know, I think, of course, there's these stories that kind of start to emerge and these characters that start to emerge. And there's so much buzz and so much hype and I'm a firm believer in the you know that every one of us is like putting out energy you know at any given moment and you can sense I get sometimes somebody comes in and you can just I know like oh my gosh they're hurting like what's happening are you okay you know like you just the other day I was doing another one of my podcasts and like I swear I said to this guy like I was like are you okay is everything okay nothing I don't know why I just just felt it it. I could just feel it and he he said my wife is leaving me like I turned into this whole huge thing but it's like I, I am a firm believer that there's like a full you know, resonance that we're, that we're like receiving and giving all the time. And that when you are in the Rio during the main event, it is, there's so, even in the beginning of those days, there's so much hope. There's so much excitement. There's so much possibility. And, and I, it is palpable. I think it is. And then actually the deeper it gets, it's not even as much that there's like, oh, the hope and this, there's that. I actually think there's a lot more tension. It just gets us like yeah, scarier right. and more tension. Right. But there's also these characters, these people that you would never know. Like they would be the person who's just like at the poker table with you that you probably would never, you know, see again or know. Like the last year, like the Mickey Craft yeah. or the John Hesp, obviously, <laughs> or, you know, the William Kasufs or like these characters that, that, you know, maybe aren't professional poker players all the time, but that you get to to feel that sort of dream or like you get to be a part of their, their part of their dream. And I'm really excited because actually every year since the beginning that I've done the world series, I've been here from like before the start of the first event, like we come two days before to like a couple days after cleaning up this Choro room. And this year I'm going to, I have 12 days off in the middle before the main starts. So I have like, you know, Mm -hmm some time and I feel like I'm gonna get to really appreciate it in the way that I did that first year more so than I have in the last few years because even though it's the pinnacle right. and it's the biggest thing in poker sometimes you're just well, tired six or seven straight weeks yeah, of, yeah. you're just mm-hmm. I'm just haggard inside and yeah. it's like and I want to like give my best self you know at that yeah. point that's the time when everyone's paying attention right. but that's the time when I'm like I haven't slept in three uh, weeks I can do and video. I'm sick right. and I don't care and so I'm I'm really that's cool looking forward to this year I feel yeah. like I'm gonna kind of like be, I'm gonna be able to get back to that original hype feeling I hope we'll that's see. exciting yeah so I suppose on like days three and four you, you sort of have discovered some of these stories of some of these players and I suppose as a from a pure media side of it, you're probably going man I hope they make the final table I hope because it's such a you good have story no idea the like sweats. John Hess by so yes. like, if this guy can somehow make it to the final table it'll be good for poker oh, the, the, the year story, when the two the, women both busted yeah. like 10th oh and 11th so they were sick. like or was, Daniel Negreanu when oh, he busted it was like, yeah. there's so many where you're just sweating it so hard and to be fair I have those moments almost every single day though where like I'm waiting for I'm an just, interview and the person's in the hand right before the break like 
literally the hand right. It happens. Bust. My camera guy will laugh. It's, it happens. It's like Murphy's Law. You know, every yeah. single time it's like right you're before the break. So if we see you yes. around, like, but not even that they bust, but that there's like a big okay. hand and you're just like sweating and you don't want to be sweating, you don't want to be rooting, but you're like, I'm rooting for that person right. so much. But right. yeah, there's you know, you're always rooting for the stories and you're yeah. always you know. I think that's another one of the sort of interesting things about the the main event is even though it starts with all the best poker players in the world and just all, anyone who has $10,000 who likes poker in the world, right. it ends up where, where you know, you get to focus on, so say, say um, actually even I think Jeff Platt went deep a couple times, which is like how I had ever even okay. um, found him, but it's, you have, so say it's, it's uh, um, 25 of the best poker players left on, on, you know, day six, and then it's... 10 of them and then so some people where it's like oh they're like this level of a poker player and I like them and normally I would talk to them but when it gets to that day that point they get to be like an extra star you know like an extra celeb like going deep in the main event is is bigger than winning some tournaments I think for or, yeah. in terms of just you know coverage and stories for us for sure. us at least well you're on ESPN you got yeah. the whole world is watching at that yes. point down to 27 yes. down to 26 and yeah. sometimes like you know, there's freakouts, which was remember the the check your privilege. Oh sure. I'm just like yeah. you can't make this stuff yeah, up. You yeah. couldn't make this you if you tried, but no. I can't imagine all the pressure. <laughs> and this year, it's going to be really interesting too because you know we've just seen all these experiments now. And this last year, you know, basically they got off you know a day and a half or something like that. Right. And this year, no days off. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see. It's I feel like we're constantly living like in a science experiment in the poker yeah. world. Like, how does this work? Let's try this. Let's try you know the clocks. Let, let's try the big blind antes. Let's try mm-hmm. you know reentries. Let's do these type of tournaments. How many you know fields can we fit into one day? How, like I feel like we're just always trying things and, and and seeing what fits and what works. And so this year it's yeah. another I, deal, fresh deal. And I assume from your guys' perspective, it's how much do, do we just report on? How much of it do we have a uh, perspective on you know the, you're, you're sort of wrestling with those all the times too you I know, hate do, it are we just whatever. sharing the story or do I take a stance on Big Blind Dandy yes. do I just report the story or do I talk about no no days off what yes. what's our angle and here? it's hard sometimes yeah. when you're trying to be your true self not to of sort course. of release a little bit of your inner well, feelings and I think people are looking for a perspective too <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I'm sure there's a balance there especially if it's a very polarizing sort of perspective for sure for yeah. sure and I think for me but it's interesting because I've, I've definitely had to put my foot in my mouth sometimes before I loved the November 9th I loved the November 9th yeah. for lots of reasons. But well, your husband's a UFC fighter. Yeah, so I mean, like I just you, you love want the that idea. Yeah, go. and I love yeah. the idea of people just training and you know, yeah. we go to their place and they like do the simulations. Yeah, how do you get ready for that? Like yeah. for me, they hire coaches I love it. for that time. I just, just loved that whole thing. I just crazy. felt like okay. it was such a hype. But then yeah. you know, there was something also I really I really I'm not gonna say I totally changed my perspective, but I can fully now understand how it's equally as good to do it the way they did it last year because that final table there was something that felt mm-hmm. really different there was something very like the players were almost more connected I, with I each agree. other I and totally more agree. present like in the game itself and not always like running back to their corner to find out everything it just felt more present they've been playing together to kind of yeah. build that over versus now yeah. we haven't seen each other for months yeah exactly yeah. exactly somehow the the hype wasn't quite the same but the yeah, feeling was right. equally good in a different way but it could have been personalities too yeah too I mean, that's they, the thing it seem like a really that's why it's always an experiment because we don't know yeah. like okay so we did it one year was that a one-off will it be like the that this year teams, uh, interactions they were, were so great yeah. and even scott i mean he was fantastic and the oh my gosh why am i blanking on his name oh gosh 
with the pickle Brian Piccoli. 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 Yes, like yes, like he was fantastic. Even yeah. almost having Michael Ruan, like, like Michael oh, Ruan oh. bubbling. Like, it was, I, I thought, love his game. There were so many great, just but Piccoli great stories. Just always looking back at the camera. He just seemed yes. like he seemed like I'd be like, yes. oh my god, I can't it's believe happening. I'm here, it's happening. It's happening. Dan oh, yeah. Ott, he was just just yeah. he was like a little Jesus. Like he was yeah. just so sweet and just gentle. <laughs> little rice smile. He was so cute. Yes, and yeah. he, and even you know having, I mean yeah, like every every. So, I mean, this will be, yeah, my eighth, I guess my eighth um, WSP main event. And every year I feel like there's something special about that final table. Like, I remember the year, the, the grinder, the year of, like, Mizraki. Yeah. Um, that final table was fantastic. The, I, I just, I feel like kind of almost every year there's, the like, Queen something. The was kind of crazy. Yes. It's so, it's so yes. interesting to watch. Yes, yes, yeah. I want to, you're at Van like, okay, yeah. so the Joe McKean year, like, there's just everyone, you get all these, there's just so many yeah. little stories, and there's so many, and you get to kind of, like, pick someone to root for, pick someone to connect with, you get to, like, have a villain, and that can change. I mean, for most of us, I think Kui Win, like, coming into the final table was kind of like a write-off, like, I, I barely had given him any thought, even though right. he had tons of chips, I was just kind of like, okay, well, let's, you know, focus on the real players here, or whatever I was thinking, and then Kui Win is this amazing right. wild card that the does raccoon all this, yes, yes. Well, and, and, and how cool is it to come to the World Series here, and I, I met, I mean, I got I have to meet him. I saw yes. him. And I'm like, I'm like, Quee! And I'm like, like we're old time buddies. Yeah, like, like what's up to I'm like, Quee! And yeah. then I shook his hand, you know, I was like, cool, you know, just that, that sort of experience, touching that sort of thing, where yes. that was such a cool story, like you said. It was just, yes. here's, this is just a degenerate gambler, dude. Accessible. You know, yes. he's, he's probably playing blackjack on breaks or yes. something. You know, yes, he is. He wins the thing. For sure. It's super cool. I yeah, love it. Yeah. I love it. And I think it happens every year, and that's part of the fun and the magic of the main, is like, who knows what it will be this year. It will be something, 100% that will be something now, like, cool. How do I move that bucket list item up to this year? I want to go play, but it's yeah. really expensive. Though let's get real. I know. Well, okay. Here's my idea. I have investors for like my database stuff. Like I have backers already, and that's what I need to have for the main event too. Yeah. Like, but there's a lot of people that have said, "Oh, I would do it just to give you the experience." And yeah. A lot of gracious people that would be like, they're pretty much no, they're donating money, but you never well, know. But just to, to give somebody that experience. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what, that's what it's all about, right? We win. Yeah. Well, also, also every for, year for we're finished top fifty. You know, that, that's fine. Just to win. That's it too. Like even a right. deep run is super oh good. I'll yeah, take like right. I'll I'll take a cash even. I'll take twenty k. Yeah. I'll like, take a panning <laughs> shot on ESPN. Right. As, they, as they're panning over to the. I can't believe video. it though. It makes me realize how poor I am. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's so much money when out you there. come here. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And it's and I realize that it's ten thousand dollars. Yeah. And I just whenever I'm just looking in the sea of people, I'm like, all of these people have ten thousand dollars to probably blow, and they know that they're right. probably blowing ten thousand dollars. And yeah. I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? My boss yeah. is over there, so I'm just like, excuse me, Race help piece. me, I'm poor. <laughs> well, I'm from rural Minnesota too, and I always think that too. Like, where's there's no money out there? Then you know, I go to my job or whatever, and you see everybody's got these forty, fifty thousand dollar cars. Like, the money's English. out there, and you come here, but but that's. That's part of the deal, but yeah, you know, how do how do we get our, our piece of that? That's what I mean. Help me out. Well, anyway, we got we got to wrap up here, but you guys check check out pokernews.com. Check out Sarah. You heard her passion for for the game and the reporting. You got me all excited about <laughs> about checking out, watching the videos, and and getting getting more involved. So check that stuff out, you guys. But any any parting words for our listeners as we go? It was such a pleasure. I will say that it was really nice. I was really tired coming in today, so that was super nice. Um, 
Well, yeah. Vegas time we started super early. We started yeah. at eleven a.m. I mean, yeah. this is super this is early for poker people. This is a this was an early start, but um, no, I don't have any particular parting words. If you want to follow me on the Twitter, then I usually I'm not the type of person I don't actually put up like everything that I do there. But if I find something that I really like or that's really funny or um, that I think is really interesting or insightful, I will put it on the Twitter. And I pretty much only post poker stuff. Don't have no fear. I don't post anything political or like really just poker. If you like poker, you can follow me there. Auntie A-U-N-T-Y Chardonnay. Auntie Chardonnay. Which we should at least address the the Twitter handle. So just to be fair for everyone, (laughs) yes, I have a drinking problem. (laughs) Like I love working. I come to work. I do everything. I exercise. I am good to my husband. I have all the things. But yes, I have loved drinking for a very long time and I still do. I am unfortunately in the space in my life where I am probably going to be having children. So I've gone through a few months of not drinking, which was okay. It's not the worst. There's lots of good things about it. I get it. But yeah, my husband's family is um, Southern Baptist. So I don't know if you guys know about that, but they don't drink at all ever. My mother-in-law has literally never drank in her life, which to me is just like, how is that possible? How have you lived? You've never, but anyways, I'm sure there's just lots of things for that. But so when I went to my first Thanksgiving with my husband's family, he did not say to me like, Oh, definitely don't drink or definitely don't bring any wine. So I thought the nice thing to do would be to bring Chardonnay. So I brought Chardonnay to the Thanksgiving and I was just drinking it, not even thinking about, not even noticing that nobody else was drinking. And then my now nephews were like, what's that? And I was like, oh, it's Chardonnay. And then within two hours, everyone was calling me anti-Chardonnay. So I hope that stays forever. My former Twitter was Sarah Grant Poker, and I feel like anti-Chardonnay is much better. That's a fantastic Twitter handle. I figured the story was there. But once I quit yeah. drinking, what am I going to do? Like, if right. I, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Someday I might have to quit drinking, and then it'll have to be like anti-AA or something. But for <laughs> now, I'm going to keep it anti-Chardonnay. And, and- Andy Chardonnay, eh? Yeah. Nice. Well, you guys have to give me some ideas. But for now, I'm going to keep it, and I'm going to keep it. Flood drinking. her Twitter with ideas for new Please. nicknames yes. during the season really of Really PG-13 ones. <laughs> well, Sarah, thanks so much for taking the time. Hopefully, we'll connect again in the future. Absolutely. Thank All you. Right. It was such a pleasure. Take care. Deuces. Okay, thanks so much, Sarah. That was that was super fun, a fun conversation. Uh, if you are not already subscribed uh, to the podcast, please subscribe on uh, iTunes or, or uh, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. I would also love it if you'd go out. The best thing you can do for us is rate us, review us. Uh, it helps build more traffic. It helps us get more... Um, more well-known, more well-highlighted on some of the, the search engines and that sort of thing. So I'd love you to have you do that. Uh, if you're interested in wearing a Rec Poker patch or getting some merchandise, uh, let me know about the patches. Uh, no charge. I can just I can send those out to you, no problem. Or get a shirt or a hat or a sweatshirt at floptheworld.com slash Rec Poker uh, and represent uh, represent the brand and, and help, help me spread the word about what we're doing. And also, if you're out there and you have connections to uh, players or industry insiders or anyone that you think would be a great addition uh, to be interviewed for the podcast, I would love it if you would make that connection for me uh, and and check that out, uh, talk to them, see if they're interested in coming on the show. 
Um, uh, we'd love to have them uh, in exchange. It gives them a chance to promote what they're doing and kind of spread the word uh, through our platform as well. So we'd love to have those connections. Uh, as a newbie to the industry and a newbie uh, as a rec player, uh, I'm still very reliant on folks like you to help me make those connections to some of the great voices that you've already heard in the podcast. So with that, uh, thanks again for being part of this deal, and we will chat with you next week. I'm expecting to bring to you uh, an interview Uh, with Minnesota Poker Hall of Famer Mike Schneider. So with that, have a good week on and off the felt.